You wouldn't totally stick around if you didn't care. Yeah. Um, this isn't the the business to be in if uh, if you liked easy money. It's not easy money. So you you have to care to, to stick around. So you, you, we're going to make the assumption that you've done a damn good investigation. You've actually uncovered all the evidence that supports the claim, even stuff that you aren't claiming, but is evidentiary. You have to preserve the evidence. You have to present it in such a way. Some of these other engineers, man, they just freaking lift a corner of a shingle and they say it's pliable, therefore it's yeah. repairable. It's a ridiculous thing. These, these, these guys have no idea what they're doing out there, man. I'm really looking forward to meeting someone that knows what they're doing. Thank God you're on this one. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. Okay. I'm so excited to talk to you, Matt. It's always fun. It is. It is. You know, I mean, at now at this point, what I like about the fact that we've been doing this for for a few years now, I remember the day that I met you, man, at SVG conference and I snuck up behind you and I was like, dude, and you're just like, oh, and it was like, uh, I don't know. I thought I've always thought you were just such you just were always just a very kind, honest guy. And uh, and I'm just glad to have known you now for the last three or so, three or four years now. Yeah. I you you and I became quick friends. Uh, I remember the first time I saw you after you snuck up on me. I remember saying to you, uh, "Man, you're taller than I thought you'd be." Oh, that thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> now now everybody's going to really be like, "What the hell happened there?" <laughs> so we've got our Advocates United event. We're doing a uh, we're calling it. Uh, you're going to find this clever passport to Miami. Yeah, it is very clever. Yeah. Because Miami is the closest country to the United States. It's my yeah. original hometown. I grew up there. I didn't move out of there until I was 35 years old. Uh, and uh, it's nice to be able to to put on an event in my old hometown. And uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time. You are going to be one of the uh, headline main speakers there because I, uh, I actually still to this day confide in you and claims that I need help on. And uh, I think you are one of the smartest people that I know when it comes to insurance claims. So I appreciate you coming out to, to speak. And I want this podcast episode here to really show how, just how much you know about the insurance claims industry and that by listening to this podcast, you'd be crazy to not come to the event and see you live. I mean, we're probably going to disappoint the crap out of your audience right now, but let's give it a shot. Is that pretty good? I'm your hype yeah. man. I'm here for that. I love it. So uh, what we're going to talk about uh, is basically we're going to talk about avoiding the engineered denial, right? Because I think we have a common problem in this industry, as any public adjuster would definitely know, or any contractor out there, is that I feel like it's true. Once they send the engineer out to the claim, you could almost guarantee. And in the beginning of your career, in the, of your career, you're just like, okay, that's good. They're sending somebody out to determine this. This is good. We're headed in the right direction. But after about ten of them, or even less than that, you're just like, wait a minute, what's going on here? This, 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 this is not yeah. going to go well. I, it wasn't always that way, but th that does seem to be the case. In fact, they threaten uh, a lot of PAs these days. We're, we're going to send out an engineer 
if you really want to go down that path, we'll send out an engineer and and the threat is is there to mean, okay, if you want to, but we're going to provide ourselves with the basis of the denial and then we're going to deny it no matter what we've already said before. So it, it's a little bit rough. Um, I think people start to realize that and they start to realize that there's there's got to be a different strategy in dealing with them. So we've put together a solid strategy for that based on my own experience where I was meeting with them probably three times a day for several years. You are a seasoned veteran. How long? Tell us a little bit about your background. I, I was a roofing contractor getting started in this industry in 2007. Um, I became a public adjuster once I found out what one of those was and left the roofing company. But I was, um, I started my own firm in Georgia. Uh, as soon as I got my license, we became the largest PA firm in Georgia pretty rapidly. We were handling volume, uh, about 3,000 or up to 3,000 claims a year, residential hail and wind claims for the most part. Uh, moved into commercial claims once we realized uh, how the money actually worked and, and ended up selling that company so that I could uh, become an educator. Yeah. And that's, again, another thing that I think you and I have a lot in common. I know, I mean, like you, I really, uh, I really get a kick out of, of doing whatever I can to help the industry. I am extremely prideful about what we do because public adjusters are, huh? You should be. Public adjusters are constantly being shitted on, uh, not constantly, but you know, a lot. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and it has supported my family for all those years. And, you know, and it supports my child and my wife and my house. And frankly, you know, I mean, it's a great occupation. And I'm sure you, like me, when we go to these events and we meet hundreds of public adjusters at the same time, and you see, I mean, we're all some really, really good people. Like we're doing this because some people make a lot of money and some people don't really make that much money. And, but for the most part, it's a business. We have to make money, but we're there because we want to help the insured. We want yeah, you wouldn't stick around if you didn't care. Yeah, um, this isn't the the business to be in if uh, if you liked easy money. It's not easy money. So you you have to care to to stick around. So no, there's 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 good people in this. There's people that um, are making good money uh, in their states and in doing different things, and they still take on claims that they don't make money on. They know they're going to lose money on because they care. Um, and there's different ways that you can go about doing your job to be more successful or not and, and ways that you can do things uh, without without being too abrasive. I, I like to say my, my number one rule is don't be a dick. And if, if you can avoid doing that and still maintain the integrity behind the claim and how the claim is processed from the carrier without you just being too abrasive, then you'll end up making friends on the other side that respect you and, and you'll start to have uh, things pick up down that road. Things are a lot harder than they used to be though. So getting to that point is a little bit more difficult uh, and the engineers are coming out a hell of a lot more. So that being said, th there has to be a different tactic. So with the engineers and, and that the, is the biggest weapon that the insurance companies have that they're gonna send out, how do you avoid the denial that's coming? So we've, uh, we started the Building Experts Institute. It's an online school. Um, a couple months ago, it's new. It's got two whole courses on it. 
but it's a membership, you know, 109 bucks a month and you gain access to all the online courses that are there, all two of them, and every online course that will be there and there will be one every month going forward. And the first class we put up was a course called Defeating Unethical Engineer Tactics. It's eight hours of content and it is a very deep dive into how engineers are utilized against you. So you understand completely how that works, how that play is performed so that you can see what the solution is and start working, playing chess to an extent to plan ahead and avoid those pitfalls and those traps that are inevitably going to be there. Um, we've had a lot of students go through that and have had so many success stories. Um, and we're, we're putting together some testimonials with the success stories now so people can see it, but it's probably the best course that I ever put together. And if you know me, I've put a lot of different courses together. So there's a lot that's in that. And that was the first course is there. Now we got hail identification, asphalt shingle roofs, and we're going to have a whole segment on asphalt shingle roofs. The next five courses are tied to that. So there'll be a certification for roof inspection. So you don't have to get the Hague certification anymore. So nice. Sticking to that engineer thing. Um, yeah. So tell me in a nutshell, we don't have eight hours. No, we right? Don't. But give me the cliff notes version as best you can of the sort of step-by-step -step process a an adjuster contractor whoever should take to make sure what they should take in order to properly uh, prepare themselves for the engineering inspection and prepare those counter arguments when they come back with their reports all right so as condensed as i can make it normally my condensed version is like an hour long by the way we're not doing that i'm gonna I'll, no so, we're on, i'm gonna put a i'm gonna put a stop clock up here yeah, good luck. <laughs> so the condensed first, uh, you know, you, you, we're going to make the assumption that you've done a damn good investigation. You've actually uncovered all the evidence that supports the claim, even stuff that you aren't claiming, but is evidentiary. You have to preserve the evidence. You have to present it in such a way. The insurance company is only required to investigate what is claimed. So if you don't present all the damages and your evidence is why and when and how, along with how much it's going to cost, then you haven't done your job as a PA. You have to do that to start off with. While you're investigating a loss, there are many things that you're going to find out, all the claim facts. And there are a certain series of claim facts that tend to have the same denial that come out of it. So this class teaches you how to identify what defense the insurance company is going to give based on the claim facts that you've uncovered. I have a lot of examples in that. Uh, so we, we named our the defenses, you know, the wear and tear defense, improper installation defense, the no damage defense, old damage defense, improper installation, and, and I already said that one, uh, mechanical damage, all this bullshit that they give you on a regular basis. These, these are all defenses that they have set up a little strategy for. If you know what defense you're going to get in advance, then you would know what documentation you need in order to completely sidestep that and never have to deal with the engineer at all. But assuming that they're going to send an engineer out anyway. So you're talking about, you're talking about, you already have an idea where this is going to go. Is that what you're saying? Like you have a feeling it's going to probably go this way. So you're going to sort of prepare no. yourself with the proper documentation to counter that before it even happens. Yeah. You know, certain claim facts, specific defenses. If you've old roof, yeah. Chances are good you're going to get a wear and tear defense. For sure. Right? Um, so you need to start getting all the documentation you need to avoid the wear and tear defense. That's and awesome. if you 
do that, then they probably won't end up sending an engineer out anyway. So this oh. class teaches you how to deal with the engineers, but also teaches you how to completely avoid them. So that's awesome. if you know what you're going to get in advance based on your claim facts, if there's you've got hail damage, but in the storm data, the hail is larger three years ago than it was in this storm. They're going to give you an old damage defense. It's yep. inevitable. What kind of documentation do you need for an old damage defense? You need to send comparisons. Oh, there is some old damage on this roof. Here's some photos of old damage. Here's some photos of new damage. Here's the differences between them. This is why we think that there was new damages that were caused on that data loss. Bullet pointed, very simple, but you can avoid old damage defense if you know it's coming in advance. And if you do it in advance, then you're more likely to win the claim. Us playing defense is the worst thing you can do right now. It's not good. That's awesome. I mean, that's something that you don't really think about. You just sort of present your claim, you present your facts, you present your weather data, and you just sort and of. And then take we it from wait there. to see what but their argument is, you, and then we we play you could, defense. Yeah, you could easily predict. I mean, I could walk into a claim, and I can tell the client yeah. already. And by the way, you're going to have a problem with this, and you're probably going to have a problem with that. That's playing chess. If you know what's coming, then you know what you need to give them in advance. So. Now, this doesn't help when you're a PA and you take on a claim that's already been filed and they've already been denied and, and all those things. And you, maybe well, an engineer is coming out next week and you just found out. So yeah, but then you're just playing the normal defense that we're all used to. And anyway, you're playing defense so. anyway. So yeah. it, it's better to get ahead of this. But assuming that you have not, now you're dealing with the engineers and you still need the same documentation you would have otherwise. And you still need to present all that. Uh, but there are things that you have to do before the engineer comes out in order to be successful, you really have to contact that engineer and get some agreements in place. Every state has rules and laws and ethical requirements for engineers that they have to abide by. You need to know what those are. We go through them in, in my class for many states and I'm still building out the rest of them. It's a, that course is alive. We're adding things to it as, as new information comes out, as tactics change. And by the way, they have changed tactics in, in the way that they write certain reports because of that course. Nice. Uh, so, I mean. That's good. That's how you make it. Yeah, I felt I felt pretty good about it. Yeah, but, you know, awesome. yeah, they change things, uh, you know, the, the way that things work. So, What's we're constantly an adding on to that. Can you give me an example? Like, uh, I don't know. Let's go like either Florida or Texas. Okay. Um I don't know if it's a state specific change. Okay, but I yeah. Can tell I you. Know. Give me an example of a, of, 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 sure. of, of a so, way to Some of the language that has changed in some uh, engineering firms in the way that they present uh, what is or isn't damaged. No, 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 so, no, no. I want an example of, of, um, of uh, uh, some of the things that you need to make clear. Oh. What, what is something you, need, you want to make clear over the phone with the engineer before going out there? You need to establish that you are aware of what the engineer's requirements are for that state without saying, hey, if you screw up, we're going to sue you. <laughs> so I, I've got some templates. I've got some um, some scripts that are in the course. Uh, generally, I like to have a phone call. I think this is a good phone call. Hey, my name is Matt Mulholland. I'm supposed to meet with you on site on this claim. Um, if you don't mind, I'd really just like to go over some things about that claim with you. Now, um, I haven't gotten a copy of your CV from the insurance company. They told me that I had to contact you. If you don't mind sending that over, I just have to verify it's just part of my job, just doing my job on that one. Uh, I'm not trying to say that you're not qualified, but 
Can you tell me what it is that you're being sent out to do? From what I understand, it's this. No, no, no. Let them answer because normally, normally they don't know. <laughs> they don't give you a correct answer anyway. So it, you kind of almost have to feed them a little bit to get yeah. more from them. So there is there is a strategy to how you have this conversation. And then you start talking about other engineers. You know, the, in my experience, when dealing with these other engineers, they always seem to have to tell if the roof is repairable. And not a single one of them has ever replaced a roof or done a repair on a roof themselves anyway. It's crazy how much these other engineers out there act outside their competency. And you say the word competency very specifically because you want them to know that you know that they're required to only perform projects that are in their competency. And so now if they start talking about repairability without ever having replaced a roof, now they're one of those incompetent engineers, but you didn't say it was them. It's the other engineers that you deal with. These other crazy engineers, man. I, I'm looking forward to meet with you. It sounds like you know what you're doing. Um, in my, if you do have to do uh, repairability, uh, let me know. I, I don't know if that's something you do have to do, but if, if that is the case, I really like the National Academy of Forensic Engineers uh, methodology, the repairability assessment for asphalt shingle, asphalt composition shingle roofs or whatever long name that thing has. Have you seen that before? Are you a member of the National Academy of Forensic Engineers? Uh, don't worry, I'll send you a copy. I'll send it to you right now. Um, what I, I like to do though, Part of that assessment no. is to have someone actually replace a shingle and take a shingle out, put a new put new shingle back in or the same shingle back in. We're just simulating the repair. And by doing that, then we're adding in all the different things that happen. You know, some of these other engineers, man, they just freaking lift a corner of a shingle and they say it's pliable. Therefore, it's yeah. repairable. It's a ridiculous thing. These, these, these guys have no idea what they're doing out there, man. I'm really looking forward to meeting someone that knows what they're doing. Thank God you're on this one. Um, yeah. It, can well, you I have mean, a roofer like of your away. choice out there with us? You come to these agreements. I know? feel like you're giving away a little bit too inf too much information on some of there, these questions, though. Like I wouldn't even there's say a lot. that. I have eight hours. It's I, I can't possibly give it all away. There's there's a lot. No 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 no. I'm talking about when you're Both asking these questions to the engineers. I feel like I'll tell you're you what like, happens. I tell you what happens. By the end of this conversation, the engineer is going to pretend he's your friend. And he's going to get off and they're going to agree to some things and either they're going to actually have been your friend and they weren't lying to you or they're going to call the adjuster in a panic and try to get themselves recused because that's they what don't i was going to say they're they're yeah but then you don't want somebody else you want the moron out there don't you and then they no you don't and then they get someone else involved usually a manager or someone like that you have the exact who's, same conversation with who's them gonna work who's going to work with you and look at it like legitimately and that guy is is yeah, someone that probably knows what's really going on in the background, because most of the engineers don't know how their stuff is used against insurance company or uh, policyholders. Well, and they and they send kids all the time. It's they always do. these kids that they send. They're like not even they're barely 28, 25 years old. It's like, oh, they just came back. They're just out of school. They yeah. don't know nothing. You know, and, and they're they're given a certain amount of information. They're, they go through the same Hague training that you could mm -hmm. go through for two days. And now they're experts. It's and it's don't relied upon and it's it's crap mm -hmm. so and they use their own definitions these these extra contractual definitions are used constantly it's a it's a major battle so a lot of the, the scope of the their job their assignment has to be agreed to in advance what definitions what limitations are going to have have to be agreed to in advance and they can't usually agree to that but you can have a conversation with them and then you know, let them know that you're going to talk to the adjuster to get the adjuster to make those changes so that they don't have to step outside their competency accidentally. So you're looking out for their best interest. Don't worry. You got their back. 
you'll make sure the adjuster changes the thing because they don't have to listen to you. They have to listen to their client, which is the, the insurance company. So you got to get the adjuster right. to do things. If you don't do this in advance before the engineer meeting, you're going to get a shit report. And then you're going to be appealing defense and you're going to be asking the adjuster to ask the engineer things. And the adjuster is just going to stonewall and say, ah, our position stands. We, we agree with our engineer. And the only thing that you're going to be able to do at that point is give them new information and then force them into having the engineer evaluate that new information. You don't always have new information. So you have to do this in advance. You have to make this work. There's a lot that needs to be done. But if you do it, they will respect you because they will know that you know what you're doing. And you will remain friends because now they don't have to do some shady shit that they kind of know is a little bit shady. They can do it the right way and feel good about it. Or they'll recuse themselves if they're not going to feel good about it. Yeah, you're so you're so right too. Because once that engineer, uh, once once that report comes back, you're dealing with the no offense, well, whatever the other moron, the desk adjuster who doesn't know anything anyway, and is just looking at the engineer report and just defaults to that every time. And you can provide them with everything, all kinds of information, and they're just gonna. Well, this is what the engineer said, so we're not gonna be able to change our mind. So I really love. I'm honestly, this is not what I was expecting out of this conversation was the amount of work was it's more it's just how you all up front it's all up front and and that's most claims guys um if you if you do your job in the beginning it and in florida that's a little bit more difficult because you have a certain period of time you have to get a proof of loss out um but you can do a partial proof yeah that's what the carriers are doing when they send out their first adjuster and they just get a real shit low ball estimate Undisputed, they meet yeah. their obligation to make a coverage decision within a certain period of time and they know that it's a low ball but they don't have the time to get to everybody in that period of time to actually give a full legitimate estimate it's their hands are actually tied by the state to do a bad job they're almost forced into it especially after a cat event so you almost can't get mad at them uh, but you have to do the same thing you, you might not have time if you take on a lot of claims you, you might need to get a partial proof out and then and then go back in later on with a full and final and, and work through all the details that go there, but you have time constraints in some states, but not every state has that. E either way, you have to do your job up front as much as possible and play offense. They have to investigate what you claim. If you're not claiming it, they don't have to investigate it. And they are allowed to negotiate. So don't be surprised if they lowball you. It's what negotiations are. I mean, it's it's what they do. So so the engineering report comes in. So you've you've done some of the, let's just say, you know, we just took Matt's class, but we're really unsure how to really implement it. So we're doing our best. So the engineer report comes back and they're still denying us for wear and tear. What's a, what's one of your arguments wear for wear and tear? I So here's the thing. Policies have exclusions for types of damage and exclusions for causes of those types of damage. And a lot of PAs, mix those in their heads. You, you, you believe that they're the same thing. So when you say uh, um, wear and tear is excluded in policies, it's excluding that as a type of damage for the most part. If wear and tear was a cause of loss, uh, an, an event, then that would be the event where the, the shingles or, or, or I, I like to use a lot of roof examples where the shingles just say, ah, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> I'm so old, you know, flatline and and it's failing at that point so that's that's when wear and tear is the cause of loss outside of that it's it's a condition or it's a type of damage wear and tear is excluded as a type of damage 
unless it causes other things. Ensuing loss provisions exist high door and tear all the time. Ensuing loss provisions exist that say, we don't owe for wear and tear. However, if wear and tear as a condition or type of damage uh, results in an unexcluded cause of loss or specified cause of loss in some policies, such as wind damage or hail damage, then we'll still cover it. The vast majority of policies still have an ensuing loss provision tied to wear and tear for hail or wind damage. Not all of them, but the vast majority. And if that's there, then lean into it. Hey, wear and tear, you're right. That roof was old, which made it way more susceptible to hail damage, which made it way more susceptible to wind damage. Undamaging winds, undamaging hail came in and caused damage to it because of the wear and tear. You'd be surprised what happens if you're the first person to say it. Don't let them say you say it. Tell them about it. If that ensuing loss provision is in that policy and you say this up front, they have to investigate it. Now they have to talk about what happens after the wear and tear. They can't leave in the conclusions the cause of loss is wear and tear only. They have to say wear and tear made the roof more susceptible to this, right. which allowed undamaging winds to come through. They're still saying wind damage happened. And in the in most states, the covered cause of loss is still covered. They don't owe for wear and tear, but they owe for the wind that occurred. Vast majority of states. So it's awesome. There's, there's a lot that you can do if you can understand how the policies work and you can find out what is in that policy up front. And I've got some classes on that. I got advanced policy interpretation classes and there's uh, not through the Building Experts Institute yet, but from listening to this bull, I've got recordings. We had, we've had a couple of our guys take that class. Yeah. Oh, good. So if you know that that's there in advance and you're the first person to say it, lean into it. What, what you don't want to do with an engineer is hit him dead on and say, no, you're wrong. Right. Because God, that's never going to work. But if you say, you know what, you're right about that, but I think that that also did this. What do you think? Lean into that. If you can say it up front, if you're the first one to present it, if you present it to an engineer as wear and tear that allowed wind, they're likely to agree with you. If you say that's not wear and tear, that is wind damage. They're not going to agree with you. They don't right. look at proximate cause the same way as you do. That is another one of those terminologies that is completely bastardized. That's part of the strategy. They, an engineer looks at proximate cause and Donan has written articles on what proximate cause is and they got it so wrong, but these engineers are looking for what started the cause or chain of events off way, way in the past. Improper installation. They didn't hand seal this or they put a nail slightly different. Wind came through and caused all kinds of damage, but because the roof was more susceptible to that wind damage because of that improper installation and the cause of loss is improper installation to an engineer. That's not how cause of loss is supposed to work. Part of the agreement you can have with the engineer in advance is agreeing to have them name all the causes of loss that act on the property, not just a cause of loss. If you can get them to say all of it, then you're good. You can point to it in their report. Look, they said it happened. How does the policy react to that? And then let them improperly deny it if they're going to, and they'll probably have to put something in the denial letter that's probably fraudulent. And then you got them anyway. But you could ask them, how does the policy react when you have a covered cause of loss and a non-covered uh, type of damage on the roof? Most of the time, that covered cause of loss is still covered. And they're going to have to agree to it. You yeah. just have to say it that way. You have to know what their strategy is and then use it against them. Good luck explaining that to a desk adjuster. You got to get it like, you got to hopefully find, 
another desk adjuster, their lead, their manager. All you got to do is say the thing that they know that they can say. Yeah, wear and tear totally made that way more susceptible to wind damage and undamaging winds came through and caused damage. They will put that in their notes because they don't know that they can't say that. Right. It's there's understand the other side, what it is that they need to win because they're using terms differently than you are. We know what this stuff really means. We should know what it is that they think that it means. Even though ambiguity is supposed to be given to the policy or we all know that that's true, but that doesn't happen until there's an attorney involved. Use the system. It's winnable. You've got the answer to it because that was intense. That was awesome. I mean, I've got, I don't have much to say. I mean, that was, that was, <laughs> that was phenomenal. I mean, just for the listeners, man, that's like, woo. I mean, all the arguments are laid out there. I love the preparation for it. I love the conversation that you have with the engineer beforehand. I also love how, which is sort of my strategy behind it, which is just sort of like, uh, explaining it to them in a way where you're kind of still there, like BFFs in a way, like we're going to be friendly here. We're cool. Everything's all good. You're so smart. You know how, you know, wow, look at that experience that you have. That's like really amazing. And, and this and that, and then just sort of telling them and sort of trying to get them into your, into your line of thinking. Yeah. How much of it is, how much of is it, how much of it is in your experience, the facts that you're giving them compared to sort of your act of kindness and talking to them and making them feel smart and comfortable and so on and so forth. Like, which do you think not, which is, which is more important? I think that that's going to come down to the engineer. There are some engineers that are much more technically minded than others. And the way that you present the, the facts to that kind of an engineer is going to be different. It's, It's just like any interpersonal relationship. Some people are different. Like so you're going to have some people that really are very friendly and, and they don't want to rock the boat. And if you can give them the information they need and they can, they can put in right, they have a lot of pressure on them to write things a certain way. If you can allow them to write it that way and still win, do that. And you can, that, that works for most policies. If you know how it actually works, the, the adjusters that are very technically minded, then it's all about how you present that material, what kind of documentation you really have. So we, we go through a few examples of the technical aspects of an investigation using terminology that an engineer would have, um, using the scientific method to test whether or not something is caused by hail or not. And talking about it like that, here's my hypothesis. Let's go test this. Here's what I think we should do to test it. If we find hail over in that area where there shouldn't be hail, then it's probably not hail. If it's the same there as it is everywhere else, and you're right, it's all freaking wear and tear. You're absolutely right. If it's different there, if there's less damage in that spot than there is on the rest of that, then it's probably hail. That makes sense, right? Let's go look at it now that we've agreed to that in advance on how that would look. That's my hypothesis. That's our test procedure. We know what the outcome would be and what that means. Technical-minded engineers will like that. And they're all nerds. So talk about Star Wars. I mean, that's, I've got nothing more to say. I mean, that was great. That was great. Matt, Matt, I'm cutting you off right there because I'm sure there could be another eight hours here. Easily. Yeah. This is what we're going to get at Advocates United. 
I mean, if you give me more than 10 minutes, yeah. I'll give you more than 10 minutes. Okay. La- last year, it was just like, I have how- I have 20 minutes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so what we plan on doing is having breakouts. Oh, good. Doing, I like that. We're, do- we're doing breakouts, uh, an hour and an hour. So you will have to probably give the same presentation twice. I'm okay with it. Uh, and we're going to rotate. I doubt it will be the same, but I can. Yeah, be the same so topic. We're, we're going to rotate everybody. We don't know how we think it's definitely going to be twice. So they're going to have to choose. The audience is going to have to choose where they want to go. And uh, you'll give basically the same presentation twice with a 15, 20 minute break in between. And then after that, we've got a couple keynotes uh, that I have yet to announce. And uh, we're going to do sofa session. So we'll be chilling on a, we're going to have a sofa on stage um, and we'll be chilling like there. Q and A, like a panel. Gotcha. Q and A. We'll have like four mics out there and try to make it as interactive as possible, so that everybody could really allow to answer their questions. So I think it should be. It's going to be a little bit different. I think it's going to be fun, and we have VIP events. The night before, we're going to be on a boat. Oh, really? And the night of, we're closing down a cigar lounge. I guess I need to extend my stay a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yo, you have a you have a discounted rate to stay at the hotel, so I'll send you the link. You got to get the yeah. link. Yeah. So. People, this is what you're going to get. That's the type of knowledge we're going to get at the event. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time for this and for taking the time to come out to the event and and educate the people. So I appreciate you, man. That's going to be a fun time. I've always enjoyed your events. Let's do it. Thank you. All right, Matt. We'll see you later. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Take care.